You are listening to RudolfSteinerAudio.com. If you are listening to the podcast of this, it is located at RudolfSteiner.Podbean.com. Please consider becoming a patron. As well, there are two publishing houses, SteinerBooks.org in America and RudolfSteinerPress.com in England, who are the sole publishers of Steiner into English and have given me permission to do these recordings. Please consider patronizing them as well. You are listening to RudolfSteinerAudio.com. This is a reading of uh, a collected work by Rudolf Steiner, uh, number 218, entitled Spirit as Sculptor of the Human Organism, translated by Matthew Barton. This is Lecture 9, given in London on the 19th of November, 1922. Today I would like to round off the themes we have been considering here recently. You already know what destiny awaits us immediately after death. First we lay aside the physical body and therefore find ourselves in a situation different from that allowed by ordinary consciousness during earthly life. We now have our I, capital, our astral body and ether body around us. Between birth and death the ether body remains united with the physical body and during sleep our capital I and astral body emerges from the ether body and physical body to sojourn outside them. After death we still have our ether body or body of formative forces for a short while, only a matter of days. And during this time we can look back on the whole course of the life that has just ended. This life is in fact contained in the etheric body. I have often stated in public lectures that if we liberate our ether body through initiation, we can then survey the whole panorama of our life on earth. But we cannot retain the ether body for very long after death, since it is connected with the whole cosmos and seeks always to spread out into it. If we were ever to lose our physical body for a moment during life, the ether body would immediately acquire the tendency to dissolve into the whole cosmos as if by elastic energy. It coheres during life only by virtue of the physical body in which this ether body is always contained. When we lose this cohesive power of the physical body, the ether body starts to spread out and after a few days will have spread so wide that it is no longer present to us. As you know, if we take a small water droplet and heat it, it soon disperses into the atmosphere and is no longer there. You can't see it anymore. In the same way, the ether body diffuses after death and is no longer present after a few days. Initiation wisdom shows us that this period lasts only a few days. In a sense, we make artificial use of the ether body in earthly life, through initiation science. The etheric body stays within the physical body, but we use it by taking no account of the physical body and by doing so can look back on our life so far. But in this review or retrospective vision, the ether body also gives us a shimmering reflection of the whole universe. The whole starry heavens are at the same time contained in the ether body. You cannot actually see the ether body as separate from the physical body 
Without this ether body revealing the celestial world of stars and planets too, and these celestial bodies, the planets and fixed stars, ultimately absorb the ether body again. You see, initiation science, initiation wisdom, can only retain for three to four days at most the pictures it gains in this way in the ether body. Then they fade and vanish, and prior to this, if we wish to retain any connection at all with them, we have to return to our physical body to ensure the ether body remains coherent. This ether body also fades from us a few days after death, but because of this we incorporate ourselves increasingly into the starry world. Having laid aside the ether body, we initially feel alien in the celestial world. Moon forces are the only aspect of it that seems familiar to us. The moon appears and gives us an after-image of our physical form, but at the same time we immediately learn to perceive more precisely the spiritual powers connected with the moon. We learn to recognize that the Yahweh power of the universe is connected with the moon, as I described last time. For a human being who has passed through the gate of death, the moon transforms into a colony of spirit beings led by Yahweh. And now after death we become familiar with something initiation science can speak of by virtue of gaining pictures of these things during life on earth still. We learn to recognize what dying on earth means. The significance of death is brought home to us by the moon and Yahweh powers. When we consider death on earth, we see that a person's physical body becomes lifeless. Soul and spirit and etheric life that previously imbued the physical body vanish from it. The physical body is absorbed by the forces of the earth, the elements of earth, either by terrestrial and watery forces, if the body is buried, or by fire and air, if it is cremated. And so the human physical body, laid aside by the human entelechy, is taken over by earth forces. What does this mean, really? The human entelechy lays aside the physical body and this body decomposes. It is like this. When we are born and bear childhood growth forces in us, and also before birth, in the embryonic state, when we already belong corporeally to the earth in our mother's body, then these same forces which we meet as destructive, decomposing forces at death, the same forces which abandon the human physical body when we die, appearing in death because the physical body decomposes, are the very same forces that now help build and form the physical body. We pass through our ether and then astral experiences into a world of spirit. But here on earth something becomes detached from the physical body and appears as spiritual quality, as something that in a sense emerges from the human body. We could put it like this. The true human being goes in one direction and in this other direction another entity emerges from us. The physical body lies there in death 
and we depart from it. But at the same time, it is true to say that another being departs from us too, consisting of the moon forces that also live on earth. You see, the moon forces are concentrated in the celestial moon, but their action extends far and wide, if I can put it like that. And this becomes apparent on earth in the forces of death, which are at the same time birth forces. They lead us into life and they appear also when we depart from life. Thus we gain a kind of understanding of the connection between birth and death. And if we think of all the human beings who die successively, the apparition of death emerges from each one of them and reunites with the spiritual atmosphere that surrounds the earth like our ordinary atmosphere and contains what death releases and birth in turn receives. From forces that rise from human corpses, human beings are born in turn. Indeed, our forces of growth have an intimate spiritual connection with the death forces surrounding the earth, that is, with forces that emerge and appear through death. Now consider this. These death forces, which are also birth forces, are moon forces. And mixed into these moon forces are all the moral values that we accumulate during our lifetime. If we have been good in a particular as in a particular respect, a distinct being who exists in this sphere of moon death forces will contain a strength retained from this goodness of ours. This being will also contain everything remaining from our immoral actions. And while we live on earth, earth we develop this being. Ordinary consciousness knows nothing of this, but we bear this being within us. Each night when we fall asleep, we depart from it. It remains behind in our physical body when we detach ourselves from the physical body. I have told you that our moral and religious feelings are left behind in the physical and ether body, and we also leave behind there, too, a real being, which we develop during life as the bearer of our karma. This being remains connected with us as long as we are in the sphere of moon forces after death. Sustaining us in the moon forces after death while we are still in proximity to the earth, this being keeps us connected both with the moon forces and with our karma so that we actually have to re-experience in reverse sequence all our actions on earth between birth and death. We re-experience them spiritually, three times faster than they occurred, as I said in the public lecture. In reverse sequence we go back through them, spending a period after death, connected with the death-moon forces, though no longer through the physical body that we have now laid aside. As beings of soul and spirit, we have to perform actions that are intimately related to our actions on earth, and thus we pass through the course of our life again in reverse, and by this means first become fully aware of our karma. Now things that are spiritual in nature must also be treated as such. 
If you loved another person on earth, you may feel sorry that he has to re-experience all the bad or imperfect things he may have done in his lifetime. From your earthly and physical perspective, you have a sense of regret about the person concerned having to undergo all this. But if you asked him whether he sees things like this, he would say no. He would reply that he would not lose the opportunity of passing through these experiences again after death with the judgments and perspectives he now has as a being of soul and spirit, so that he can fully enshrine them in his deepest soul being. You see, if I have done something that shows me to be imperfect and do not have the chance to experience this again, I could not feel the urge in myself to redress or balance it. I would seek to liberate myself from this imperfection. The very fact that I can re-experience my actions from a soul-spiritual perspective gives me the motivation to redress them through a more perfect action. The dead would not relinquish this opportunity at any cost, for it gives them the power to attain their full humanity. Just as a landscape looks different when you see it from down in the valley or from the top of a mountain, so life seen here on earth looks different when perceived from beyond the threshold. And so we can often find that we misjudge the way earthly life is connected with superphysical life after death. Let's take another instance. Let us say you are committed to anthroposophy, are very inspired by it, but that another member of your household, someone you are closely connected to, hates anthroposophy, regards it as his worst enemy. You may deeply regret the fact that you cause the other such pain by being an adherent of anthroposophy yourself, while he hates it. From an earthly perspective, that might be the right way of seeing it. But very often things will look different from the other side. The other person might have had karmic reasons why he could not get anywhere with anthroposophy, perhaps because of constraining factors he brought with him from another life that have led him to intellectually reject anthroposophy. His head cannot approach anthroposophy, and he immediately grows restless or irritable if he hears anything about it. This does not mean his heart is necessarily against it. When the person dies, he may develop a very intense desire for anthroposophy after death, and so it will often be right to send thoughts drawn from anthroposophy to someone who has died, although he hated it when he was alive. However paradoxical this sounds, some family members who have raged about another member of the family becoming an anthroposophist turn into keen adherents after their death. You should take seriously what I said here last time, too, that from an after-death perspective, things look very different. A person becomes quite different after death. Consider that during life your brain sits there in your skull and lower down you have your lungs and then the other organs and also your outward senses. You perceive the external world by means of all this. And now you emerge from physical life. First of all, the stars only shine into your ether body. 
But when you have laid that aside too, you identify yourself with the stars. Previously you had a brain inside you, and now you have incorporated into you the spiritual intelligences of Venus, Mercury, the Sun, and so forth. And just as you possess lungs, heart, kidneys, and so on upon earth, so now you have moon, Mercury, and the Sun within you. Your interior is identical with the universe. Do you really imagine that the universe sustains the same kind of rationality for you as your brain? The world looks a very different place now. When we look down from the sun to the earth, the earth looks different from when we look up to the sun from the earth. Staying connected with the moon, Mercury and Venus, we pass through our life in reverse, re-experiencing everything. And during this time we have only a weak connection with the outer celestial bodies of Jupiter, Mars and Saturn, and a still weaker one with the fixed stars. Having gone back in reverse through our actions during life in this way, back to birth, we have in fact judged these actions from a celestial standpoint. The reverse reflection and re-experience of our life also offers a forward perspective. We realize that we need to do certain things in future to redress one or another action. This phase of after-death life lasts for around 20 or 30 years, depending on, on how old we were when we died, around a third of our lifetime on earth. Children pass through this phase very quickly, and for infants it is but the twinkling of an eye, as you can imagine from what I have said. So that is what happens. We experience a soul-spiritual connection with our earthly life, going back through it in reverse. And, arriving at our birth, we find that we retain a memory of all this. And now it is as if we lay aside yet another body. You can say that we lay the astral body aside, but what actually happens is that the living activity in which we were previously engaged transforms into a thought picture, except that now a quite different consciousness thinks, a celestial consciousness, whereas before an earthly consciousness was thinking. And now you continue your journey in the world of spirit, dwelling with beings whose physical reflection embodies the sun, moon and stars. You have to continue dwelling now with the spirits of the stars, and into this life you bear the memory of your karma that you laid aside with your astral body. But here, in quotes, laying aside, means only that everything we were actively involved in before is now a memory we possess as a cosmic human being. We enter a pure world of spirit, but burdened with the memory remaining to us of our life on earth. As long as we pass through this reverse experiencing of our past life on earth, we remain in the planetary sphere. While we progress from the spiritual moon forces to those of Venus, Mercury, Sun, Mars, Jupiter and Saturn, and in other words dwell somewhere between the moon and Saturn sphere, still feeling ourselves to be within the planetary cosmos, we are still involved in this journey back through our previous earthly life. 
In recent days I have said how the moon forces and Saturn forces work against each other. The moon contains the powers that bring us down to the earthly realm and continually seek to bind us to earth. Saturn seeks to lead us out into the starry universe, not so as to see the star's physical reflection, but between death and a new birth, so that we live with the beings who belong to the stars. As we pass beyond the sphere of Saturn after death, therefore, we become ready for an experience of the pure world of spirit. In my book Theosophy, titled, I characterize this as the transition from the soul world to the spirit world. Because the memory of our past life still clings to us, though, we are not able to make this transition by our own powers, but need a helper in the world of spirit. I have also previously described the nature of this helper. During the time between the mystery of Golgotha, the initiates of the mysteries told their pupils that they could, if they sent up their powers of worship into the world of spirit in the right way, find the sublime sun-being who accompanied them from the time they left the sun-sphere. This spiritual being, they said, would accompany them also to the other side of existence, where the sun shines out spiritually into the universe, in the same way that it shines down physically upon earth. This sublime sun-being, said the initiates, will accompany you and bring you to the Saturn sphere, and then beyond this into the star sphere. The spiritual sun will shine for you, said the initiates to their pupils, so that you can make the transition from the soul world into the spirit world. This sun being descended to the earth through the mystery of Golgotha and took on corporeal form in the human being Jesus of Nazareth. By turning our sensibility, our feelings toward the Christ and the mystery of Golgotha, let me read that again. By turning our sensibility, our feelings toward the Christ and the mystery of Golgotha, we can already receive on earth the power, the strength, to pass beyond the sphere of the sun and Saturn and enter spirit land, that is, to enter the celestial world of stars. Thereafter, our condition is one we continue to pass through between death and a new birth. To describe this condition to you, which now, after the mystery of Golgotha, we can undergo through the power of Christ that we have absorbed, I will need to say the following. I first have to make you aware what it really means out there in the world of stars, that is, in spirit land, to recall one's life on earth. This will become clear to you if I say the following. As we pass beyond the sphere of Saturn, we enter what older traditions called the zodiac, representative of the heavens with their fixed stars, or in other words, or in other words, of spirit land in general. But precisely when we encompass all the separate stars that compose the zodiac, we delineate the path the human being now has to pursue. The human being takes this path in order to be able to develop the spirit germ of his next physical body from the whole cosmos, in cooperation with the spiritual beings of the hierarchies.
You would be quite mistaken if you thought that such work is far less interesting than what we do here on earth to further human culture. If you thought the work we do after death to create your own future body must be very monotonous. Everything you can do on earth together does not approach the grandeur and diversity of what you accomplish as you form the human body, this temple of the gods, out of the starry worlds. Such work is far more varied and magnificent. And, as you will see in a moment, you do not only form your body in isolation, but in a way that makes it part of all humanity. Having come together with one or another person through karma, you now create your new body in a way that endows it with the tendency to meet these same people again in the right way, in order to balance and redress karma with them. You are actually working for humanity in a much loftier sense here than you can do on earth. And how do you do this work? I'd like to describe this in detail, but please be aware that, as I said last time, I have to use metaphors in speaking of these sublime worlds, since human concepts today do not allow one to express these things in other than pictorial ways. You do actually have to develop the spirit germ of your whole physical body, which is composed of different specific aspects of the universe. For instance, as you dwell for a while with and in those spiritual beings whose physical reflection we find as Aries, you work with the Aries hierarchies to form your head, your future head, which is actually a cosmos that later contracts in the physical body. In your head you bear the whole cosmos, as seen from Aries. But now as you work in the realm or arena of Aries with the hierarchy of Aries, the planets shine forth spiritually, just as they shine down upon earth, but now in a different spiritual aspect. Let us assume that you continue to work, and in doing so, your, and in doing so work your way from Aries, to the constellation of Taurus. As you work in the constellation of Taurus with the hierarchies, you develop the connection between your larynx and your lungs. And as Mars shines up out of the planetary sphere toward Taurus, the movement of Mars expresses everything you failed to do or did rightly on earth through your organs of speech. As you work your way through the constellation of Taurus, Mars spiritually shines into the sphere of Taurus every untruth you spoke. So you can picture the kind of memory that is here embodied in our own actions. After death we find this memory inscribed into the universe, and indeed it speaks forth from the other side of the universe as Logos. In relation to our speech organs, we are compelled to work in either a disrupted or supported way, depending on whether we spoke the truth or lied. And then in passing, for instance, through the constellation of Leo, all our imperfections are illumined by the sun. All those imperfections due to our superficial or deeper heart, our sympathies and antipathies, which on earth are connected with our temperament and blood circulation. And so we build up our future body in accordance with the way our whole former life 
resounds into cosmic space as planetary utterance. This is so. Yes, however strange it may seem from our earthly perspective, gazing upon planetary movements from these far realms, seeing, let us say, how Mars performs its movements in relation to Taurus, we find these movements writing a script, one that simultaneously resounds. And this is the star script which our own deeds have inscribed into universal space. No wonder, therefore, that when we return again, we prepare what will belong to us in accord with our karma. You see, we can only prepare our future physical body through the influence of this continual language of the stars. We work our way through the realm of spirit, and the length of time we take to pass through it is greater the longer we have spent in a consciousness different from that of the child, as I also said in the public lecture. As a child we still lived dreamily. We are now in a state of consciousness that surpasses the one we possessed on earth. On earth, as adults, we are in a state of consciousness that surpasses the dreamy awareness of the child. There are three states of consciousness. If we lived to the age of thirty and lived in dream consciousness until we were five, then we lived six times longer in a higher consciousness. And now we, therefore, live in turn six times longer than our whole life on earth in that higher state of consciousness we have out there in the starry worlds. It is easy to see, therefore, that if a child dies, he needs only a very brief period between death and a new birth. The older he becomes, the more time he must spend there. And this is because his super-earthly consciousness, which he passed through after his previous death, has been darkened and obscured all the more during his life, and he must therefore work all the longer to illumine it again. We have to find our way into full illumination after death. In entering into full illumination, we arrive at the time between death and a new birth, which I have referred to in a mystery play as the midnight hour of human spiritual existence, the midnight point between death and a new birth. At this time, roughly midway between death and a new birth, we have the brightest awareness, one allowing us to live in the world of spirit amongst beings of the spiritual hierarchies. But at the same time, we also have the strongest experience that everything we did as a human being remains below in the planetary sphere, and we must not ignore it. This one says to oneself, cannot be amended here. It can only be amended if you descend to earth once again. At this point begins the urge, the drive to descend to earth once more, in a sense to decide between Saturn and Moon. Once more we follow the dawning Moon forces to embark on the path back to earth. After centuries, in the case of someone who grew to adulthood in a previous life, and as we approach the planetary sphere, entering the sphere of Mercury, Venus, and the Moon, the awareness we had in community with spirit beings 
of the higher hierarchies fades. In other words, we acquire a state of awareness which encompasses only the manifestations of these spirit beings. Previously, we felt ourselves amidst and immersed in them. Preparing our future head, we feel we are collaborating with spirit beings. Now, though, they appear to us as though in pictures. But instead, the action of the moon forces surfaces in us, and we feel ourselves once more to be a being who should be self-contained. We are not yet in a physical body, but we gain a presentiment of individual life and of being at one remove from the cosmos again. We no longer have spiritual beings immediately before us as they are, but only in images. And as we pass through these images, we lose sight increasingly of the spirit germ of our physical organism that we have developed. We have to realize that this spirit germ of the physical organism has faded from us and has now descended to physical parents, is becoming incorporated in the powers of the reproductive stream on the physical earth. The germ of the physical body we prepared does in fact contract and falls away into the reproductive stream of our physical parents. We are left behind as a being of spirit and soul who feels a sense of belonging with what has lapsed from him yet cannot directly unite with it. We can only do so when we draw the ether forces in the whole cosmos together to form our ether body. After the spirit germ of our physical body has fallen away from us, to prepare our physical body in the mother's womb, we gather the powers to form our ether body, with which we then unite when the embryo has been developing for a while in the womb. This is the process whereby we return to earthly existence. Having reached the stage of seeing only images, reflections of spirit beings, we now incorporate into us all the memory of our karma, only being able to do so by virtue of the moon forces. We reincorporate this into us as real forces. We take these into the ether body, incorporate them into it. And this is why we appear on earth in a guise that enables us to live out our destiny, our karma. As we pass through the moon forces, we develop a longing to live out our karma on the earth. This is the cycle we undergo between death and rebirth, rising to an experience of independent consciousness in the spirit sphere and then descending to a dimmer consciousness where the spirit sphere is present to us only as picture. While in this latter condition, we introduce will into our karma and return to the earth in order to work further in our physical body. Eventually, through a series of earthly lives, we become able to embark on a further metamorphosis of our existence. At present in our stage of earthly evolution, as we descend from the sphere of the stars, we have a memory of our former life on earth and reconnect with this memory. We ourselves prepare our physical body in the sphere of the stars 
and unite with this physical body as we descend. But this current period of Earth's development is a very important one, as we can only understand if we know that we prepare and develop our physical body in the celestial sphere and then mantle ourselves in it as we descend to Earth. You see, in this present age of ours, something vital is being prepared. I have often spoken of how, in the last third of the 19th century, changes were initiated in the world of spirit in relation to the whole course of human life on earth. I pointed out that, in a sense, our portal of knowledge opened to the world of spirit, and that now, if we ourselves do what is needed, we can actually gain knowledge of the world of spirit and enter this world. This was not possible for many centuries while knowledge of material things was developing. The changes that came about in the world of spirit arose when a being we can call Michael, because his qualities closely resemble those of the Michael being of tradition, succeeded former overarching beings. We can say that this Michael being took over spiritual leadership of humanity. Michael's intervention in humanity's life of soul and spirit finds its correspondence in the increasing numbers of people who really are pervaded by the sense that they are not only connected to the earthly realm through their physical body, but continually also to the world of spirit through their soul and spirit. Our growing into spirit knowledge is connected with Michael's dominion. The other side of this, though, is that a true, honest, and deep engagement with this science of the Spirit has an effect on our human sensibility, our human soul. As the light of this science of the Spirit spreads and broadens, it will not remain mere theory, but will stream into human feeling and exist as an increasing compass of human love. The knowledge we have stored up over recent centuries is really only head knowledge, and does not stream through our whole being. It is like a soul tumor, actually, something that gradually hardens because it does not gain the right forces from the rest of the organism. If we continually grow cleverer in our heads alone and do not imbue this cleverness with the necessary feeling drawn from the rest of our organism, we will become beings who suffer, really, from a soul-spiritual cancer, a soul-spiritual carcinoma, Even the head cannot thrive in spiritual terms if the rest of a person does not stand lovingly in the world, also with active will toward what he loves. What Michael's dominion intends within us is something we only understand if we approach this Michael dominion ourselves with our own qualities. And we can only do so as we grow spiritually enlightened and filled with a general human love originating from this same spiritual enlightenment, then we will increasingly understand the meaning of this Michael dominion. The Old Testament people also spoke of Michael's dominion, believing Michael to be the servant of Yahweh in those times. In other words, back then, Michael worked through the Yahweh powers. He served Yahweh combating all the Aramonic powers of which I have been speaking in recent days. 
In our age, Michael is destined to become increasingly the being who serves Christ. Thus to say that Michael's dominion will come to regulate human destiny means at the same time that Christ's dominion is truly to spread across the earth. In a sense, Michael precedes Christ, bearing before him the light of spiritual insight, and Christ follows, bearing a call for universal human love. But this means not only that something changes for the earth, but also that much changes in respect of the life we lead between death and a new birth. From ancient times of earth's evolution, human beings have prepared the spirit germ of their future physical body as I described, and have then taken up this body as they entered upon earthly existence. But since the beginning of the dominion of Christ Michael, humankind increasingly finds itself in a position. So far, this is true of only a few, but their numbers will continually increase, of making a decision before descending to earth. You see, the light of spiritual knowledge shines in a way that illumines the earth and the superphysical realm at the same time. And so, through Michael's dominion, a human being can learn to make a decision after taking up his karma in the etheric body and then embarking on the journey toward his physical body. As spiritual knowledge spreads increasingly on the earth, so that human beings experience universal human love to an ever greater degree, the following will become possible for humanity in future as souls descend into their earthly life. The human being will find that having prepared this body and sent it down to the earth, having taken up his karma in the ether body he has gathered from the cosmos, This karma involves grave injury he has done to another human being in former lives on earth. We always run the risk of harming others by whatever we do. Judgment about the injury we have inflicted on another will become especially vivid while we are in the ether body without having yet entered the physical body. In future, the light of Micaiah and the love of Christ will also illumine this moment. And we will become able to change our decision and give to someone we have especially injured the body we prepared for ourselves and take on the body that the other has prepared. This is a mighty transition that will increasingly occur in the life of the human spirit as we move forward into the future we will become able to take upon us a body which a person whom we have particularly injured has had to prepare, and the other will be able to enter the body we have prepared. By this means, there will be a whole new scope for karmic redress on earth. We will become able to exchange our physical bodies with each other. The earth could never achieve its aim if this were not to happen for never otherwise could humanity become a unified whole, and this must happen. In preparation of future stages of planetary evolution of the earth, a time must come when it will be impossible for any individual to enjoy anything on earth at the expense of another. 
just as the single leaf of a plant or the single petal of a flower feels itself to be part of the whole plant and shares in the whole plant's suffering or joy, metaphorically speaking. So a future must arrive on earth when no individual desires his own good fortune or happiness at the expense of the whole of humanity of which he feels a part. The spiritual equivalent of this, however, is that we also learn to prepare a physical body for another. As humankind, therefore, we are gradually relinquishing a time when each person experienced a certain continuity in relation to his physical body. We are entering a time, instead, brought about by the dominion of Michael, when each will also work for the other in preparing the spirit germs of human physical bodies. During the course of our earthly incarnations, this reciprocal service in the spirit will, though this sounds like a complete paradox, it is true, nevertheless, prepare a more distant era when the souls of people on earth will be able to take upon themselves the very bodies they have most injured, taking the other soul into their own body. This will come about once the earth itself has evolved into different conditions. But what I have described today is preparation for this, arising through the dominion of Michael in the world of spirit. This example demonstrates very clearly the nature of ideal magic. If here on earth you allow illumination that comes from spiritual science to act upon you, you are supporting and furthering the dominion of Michael. You are furthering the powers of human reciprocity so that people can live for one another, to the extent even of allowing their decision about the physical body they will take on, their choice of physical body, to be governed by what is best for humanity as a whole. In preparing this on earth, by embracing human wisdom and love of humanity, you are fulfilling something that is a reality in the world of spirit. This really is ideal magic, which people in olden times called true white magic. It is the condition humanity must embrace. I wanted to highlight this important moment, which has now begun to inform humanity's evolutionary trajectory. Let us be courageous and not draw back in fear when realities of the world of spirit that play into human life are unveiled. You see, the future of humanity depends on us learning to live with the world of spirit in the same way that we live with the physical world here on earth. We can only further humanity's future if we come to be at home again in the world of spirit, as ancient mankind once was, by properly understanding the words of Christ, quote, My kingdom is not of this world, close quote, he said, quote, My kingdom is not of this world, close quote, and yet he descended to the earth and united with humanity. Ought he not to have said, My kingdom is of this world? No, he did not say this, because he wishes slowly to make the earth into a kingdom that is not subsumed in earthly things, but which gradually flows into a spiritual condition. His knowledge is no longer as it was until the mystery of Golgotha and as it has also persisted since then to some degree. His kingdom is such that the Spirit will prevail here on earth, and this will come about when the dominion of Michael is properly understood. 
which it only will be when spiritual illumination and Christian love of others is sought as I have described. The end of Lecture 9